You're listening to The Dworkin Report, and I'm your host, Scott Dworkin. On today's podcast, we've got retired Commander Guy Snodgrass, who left the armed services last year after serving as Chief of Communications for Defense Secretary General James Mattis. His new memoir, Holding the Line, Inside Trump's Pentagon with Secretary Mattis, is an objective insider's account of the real functioning, or sometimes dysfunctioning, of the Pentagon during the Trump administration. We discussed the troubles of Trump's Twitter rages that resulted in military leadership being caught off guard with presidential initiatives that were often hastily announced by tweet, without advance notice to the people who serve our country, those with the responsibility to keep us all safe. Commander Snodgrass discussed his reasoning behind the Defense Secretary's decision to hold fire on Trump and his recent decisions to publicly mock him. It's a fascinating sneak peek inside the executive suite of the Trump administration, shedding light on some of the most controversial decisions coming from the White House, which shed the kind of nonpartisan, rational policymaking America's armed services are known for, undertaking in exchange for fiats by tweet and political red meat. Take a listen to my interview with Commander Guy Snodgrass. I'm here with retired Naval Commander Guy Snodgrass. He's a former Top Gun F-A-18 Hornet fighter pilot and war veteran whose last assignment was working at the Pentagon as speechwriter and communications chief for former Defense Secretary General Jim Mattis. He wrote the new book, Holding the Line, Inside Trump's Pentagon with Secretary Mattis, published by Sentinel, an imprint of Penguin House Publishers. Guy, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Thanks, Scott. Thanks for having me. So we'll, we'll hop right into it. Uh, did, did you ever believe when you took the assignment to work for your former boss, General Mattis at the Pentagon, that it would lead to you writing a memoir about your experience? No, never in a million years did I anticipate this coming. I, In fact, I was on the path onward and upward. As a, as you mentioned, as a Navy fighter pilot, I'd already had command of a fighter squadron that was based out of Japan. And my next stop was actually going to be as the commander of a carrier air wing. So that would be the person responsible for uh, several squadrons that go out on board an aircraft carrier and, and patrol the waters around the world. And it was only because I was asked to join Secretary Mattis that that kind of changed my pathway in the Navy. I was still selected for uh, a what we call major command, but it was just a pathway that was not compatible with my family. So I elected to retire from that standpoint. But that, of course, opens new doors, and that gave me the opportunity to reflect back on my experience and then put that experience down as uh, as a memoir. And one of the big themes of your book, Holding a Line, is the real-life impact of President Trump's decrees, which generally took the form of tweets instead of executive orders, just like every other past commander-in-chief. But just this week, we learned that the State Department let Ambassador Yovanovitch twist in the wind in Ukraine for fear of supporting her and being contradicted by tweet. Can you tell our listeners about the Trump tweet that maybe caused the most trouble during your time in, in the defense secretary's office? Well, you know, there were there were several, quite frankly. There was everything from the creation of a space force. There was the uh, unannounced change in policy that we were going to stop military exercises with South Korea. This is at the tail end of a summit that President Trump had with Kim Jong-un. But I think the one you're referring to and the one that certainly caught us by surprise early in our tenure uh, in the Trump administration, and in my case, working for Secretary Mattis, was when the president had a unannounced tweet that, that banned all transgender individuals from serving in the U.S. military. And it was such a surprise to us because uh, the president had been fully briefed on 
the great pains that Secretary Mattis was going to to make sure that the process was uh, being fairly looked at. He wanted to make sure it was underpinned by data. He wanted to make sure that uh, a lot of experts were brought in to uh, make sure that the problem or the decision uh, that we knew was going to be, regardless of the outcome, facing judicial scrutiny was arrived at in a very methodical, very logical fashion. And of course, that was undone um, just within minutes of the tweet coming out. And so we had to respond to that ad hoc. So that legitimately actually caught you guys off guard. Oh, it did. I mean, as I write in the book, I mean, there's an entire chapter about how Mattis was caught unawares. He was in Washington State, uh, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, a gentleman named General Joe Dunford. Uh, nobody had a awareness from the White House that this was happening. In fact, they had talked just recently on the status of the transgender um, you know, review process. And so it was one of those things that it caught everybody off guard and immediately were seeking from the White House further clarification. Was this a definitive tweet from the president or was this merely something he was releasing to uh, play to his base? And so there were a lot of questions. And even General Dunford at the time released a statement saying that nothing would change until Secretary Mattis was able to return and uh, interact with the president to ensure we had his his actual intent. I've worked with a lot of uh, veterans uh, in politics, and uh, one of the worst things that that they don't like is if they're caught off guard. So I'm sure that it's not <laughs> it's not something that's uh, good. I, th- that's pretty scary when it comes down to it. Um, a lot of your book is an examination of the clashing relationship between media reports and official denials. In, in your opinion. What percentage of the media reports that we saw coming from the Pentagon were accurate but denied by the administration during your 18 months of the defense secretary? Well, I'd, I'd be hard-pressed, you know, just sitting here talking with you to put a, a percentage on it. Right. I would say, though, that, that the ones that caught my attention were where we would say that we, for example, the cessation of military exercises with our longstanding ally, South Korea, and how when asked, you know, our uh, Pentagon press spokesperson said that, yeah, we were not surprised. This was well coordinated, but that simply wasn't the fact. And in fact, I think that individual was surprised to learn that wasn't the fact because that's what they've been told. So, you know, there are just numerous incidents throughout the book where you find the Pentagon, you find the secretary, you find others caught off guard, surprised by an announcement, or, um, you know, there's information being put out that's contrary to what's really happening behind the scenes. And you know, the, I think, again, I wanted to put out an apolitical book that just was willing to not only withstand the test of time, but also to to hold those of us who are in those decision-making positions to account, um, to say there's a lot of misinformation on both sides of the aisle that's, that's being pushed around, but here's what really happened from a firsthand account. And I think that's one of the biggest lessons I learned was just the importance of making sure you foster alignment within your team. And that also means, of course, between the White House and other cabinet departments uh, you want to have that team fully briefed in. They should be aware of what's coming so that when the president does tweet, no one's caught off guard and you could serve the president uh, to the fullest extent possible. Find out more about Meet the Candidates 2020, my new book series of voter guides authored by Dworkin Report producer Grant Stern. It's the only place you can read my opinion and a factual portrait of each major Democratic candidate in one place. Buy the book now at the link inside this episode's notes at grantstern.com or your local Barnes & Noble. Thanks again for your support. Let's get back to the show. Can you tell our listeners how the president's uh, duplicitous, I guess that's the word, messaging, for example, with Syria 
is a strategic problem for America's foreign policy that affects our troops overseas? What you find repeatedly over time is that the administration will change direction, uh, it seems like sometimes on a whim. And one of the things that you just referred to is the relatively no notice withdrawal from Syria just a few weeks ago. And this, I saw something online that I thought was very well done. It was a side-by-side. It showed President Trump back in 2018 saying that the Kurds in Syria who had fought alongside America and coalition forces for a number of years to roll back terrorism to help defeat the physical caliphate that ISIS was seeking to create and to grow. So the Kurds had worked alongside us, and President Trump himself said that these are our allies in this fight. We will never abandon them. We will not forget them. And then, of course, they show one year later when President Trump is saying that, well, you know, the Kurds, they're not such nice guys. They're not great people. And, you know, frankly, you know, it's someone else's problem. And, of course, that's that's a very jarring juxtaposition to show just the change in one year kind of as those uh, political wins or the decisions change. And unfortunately, when you think about international alliances, when you think about the other nations that we tend to partner with around the world, one of the things, just like you said, no one likes to be caught off guard. And one of the things that really underpins international diplomacy is stability in the relationship. And yes, sometimes you might need to say something for your domestic audience. You might need to say something for your supporters. But if you're going to do that, one of the easiest things you could do is simply reach those leaders behind the scenes and say, just so you know, I'm about to do this. Don't don't be alarmed. Uh, we're still with you, for example. Um, but that, that does not happen, didn't happen in this case, and it doesn't happen in general. And General Mattis just released a memoir recently, but declined to be too critical of the president in, in his book, that yet your former boss has no problems lampooning Trump in public with stinging barbs about bone spurs and whatnot. Um, mm-hmm. why, why do you think the general is... Uh, reluctant to be candid with the maybe the American people about his real opinions while in political office, or is it just regarding the book? I think that he there's maybe a duality to it. I I know what Secretary Mattis has said is that he doesn't want to inflame already hot political passions that are running across both sides of the aisle. I also think that as a politician, Secretary Mattis also is aware that should he speak publicly, by definition, he'd be choosing a political side. And so uh, he would probably lose, if you will, the support of half the country. So that's probably just a straightforward uh, calculation he's making. I think it was noteworthy for Secretary Mattis, who has said he does not feel it's appropriate to criticize a sitting president or even to really talk about his political service alongside that president. Uh, The only time he has responded is when he was attacked personally by the president. I think he wanted to send the signal that he would not be afraid to fire back. But I know I, I did read and hear from a lot of friends who uh, were concerned that, that Mattis didn't want to necessarily speak about issues that would be of importance to all Americans, but he was willing to speak when it was uh, impugning Mattis's own honor. And so I think we'll have to wait and see as the uh, next year draws on if Mattis decides he wants to speak out or if he wants to uh, refrain from doing so until this president has left office. Now, sometimes we've had departures and staff where they coordinate behind the scenes and work out, hey, I'm going to tweet an attack at you. You can come after me. That was not coordinated. That was another surprise, of the, the attack on the general. Oh, yeah. I mean, yes. There were just like when uh, it was noteworthy, right? If you look at that, and that's what the book does. That's what my book outlines for the reader, that relationship, the dynamic, the deep you know, kind of background into how Mattis's relationship began with the president, where he was announced during a uh, campaign stop and 
President Trump says that he's the the best general since George Patton, that he's the finest general in the world. And of course, as the relationship peters out and then Mattis ultimately resigns in December of 2018, how initially there seems to be a little bit of detente and, and no one's taking shots at the other. But once President Trump realized that Secretary Mattis's resignation letter was carefully crafted, it was throwing some barbs uh, towards the president, he decided to respond at the next cabinet meeting, the first cabinet meeting of 2019, when he said that uh, Mattis had failed him, he'd failed America because he had uh, not done well in Afghanistan and, and that he was an overrated general. So I think that, uh, again, the book is just a uh, all-in-one look at that two-year dynamic that exists between President Trump and his Secretary of Defense at the time, James Mattis. And big picture, do you think uh, General Mattis did the nation a tremendous favor by bringing stability and gravitas and foreign policy to the defense secretary's role under Trump? Or did your former boss maybe erode independence of the military by withholding his real opinion on policy throughout his term? I think we're going to need more time. Historians and others will need to peer back. They'll need to look under the hood. I know my book will be a big part of that uh, as a firsthand account and, and really the only person besides Mattis who is willing to even uh, talk about uh, his tenure as Secretary of Defense. But I I do believe that there was a lot of – Secretary Mattis played an important role because of the stability you just cited. He would routinely come into meetings and say, look, we're, we're an apolitical institution. We're not going to let ourselves get caught up in the hot political rhetoric that's running around this country as he would say, it's you know all lies in the boat. We're just going to be steady as she goes and focus on America's military, focus on uh, America's you know rightful place in this world as a security partner of choice, and not worry about the political winds and trying to to chase them. And I think that that did serve America's military well. Is there anything else you want to cover about your book that we haven't yet? The one thing I would just mention, I know that uh, you know when you release a book like this, there's always a lot of perspectives about why you did it. And I think it, it was an honor to have the opportunity to write the book. And I just saw it as a continuation of my two decades of public service as a uniformed officer. I mean, it's not lost on me that my training, uh, what I witnessed for two decades as a fighter pilot was that, yes, you brief the flight and of course you fly the mission and that's very important. But the most important part of that sequence of events was the debrief that once you were done, you, you landed the plane, you'd taken off all your gear that you looked at certainly the things you did well, but more importantly, you look at the things that you thought could have gone better, um, ways you could improve. And that's a significant reason to write this book. There's a lot of misinformation. I wanted to provide a firsthand account, but not only that, just areas where we can continue to prove, to improve, and also to highlight the importance of our international alliances and partnerships, not only for America's security, but also our economic security abroad. The book is Holding the Line Inside Trump's Pentagon with Secretary Mattis. Commander Snodgrass, thank you for your service, and thank you for joining me today. Thanks, Scott. Thanks for having me. I want to thank Commander Snodgrass for taking the time for the interview today. I also want to thank our producer, Grant Stern. You can follow him at Grant Stern on Twitter. You can buy our Meet the Candidates Guide 2020 at meetthecandidates2020.com. You can visit the website for our podcast at dworkingreport.com. Thanks again for listening. Onward!